You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Pediapod for June 2023. This month, we look at the transition to telemedicine in paediatric primary care during the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Before the pandemic, telemedicine was limited in paediatric primary care. Then, in 2020, its use increased exponentially. However, early COVID-19 reports described inequities in telemedicine use for multiple specialties by race and ethnicity, insurance, language, and access to broadband internet. In this episode, we meet early career investigator Kelsey Schweiberger from the University of Pittsburgh. She and her team used electronic health record data from two paediatric primary care practices to describe the factors associated with scheduling and attendance of telemedicine appointments for paediatric primary care throughout the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic to identify priorities for enhanced equity and access. Here's Kelsey. So I am Dr. Kelsey Schweiberger. I was born and raised in Tampa, Florida in the United States. Went to undergraduate education at Georgetown University in Washington, DC. I worked in an ER as an emergency department scribe. And I took a year off after college and I was a live-in nanny for a family with five kids. And that experience has been pretty formative for me. Living with that family and working there was the first experience I really had of interacting with the medical system from a child's perspective and how different medical decision making is when you're deciding for a child versus deciding for yourself. Just kind of that difference in decision and how pediatrics really involves the parent or the caregiver, the child and the clinician was super fascinating to me. And it seems like you've now substituted that family with a family of dogs that I can see running around behind you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes, exactly. So now I have uh, three dogs in my house. So I clearly love to live in chaos. But after I completed medical school, I moved up to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for pediatric residency. And that's where I've been since then. I stayed and did a general academic pediatric fellowship and now am in my first year faculty. And the paper we're here to talk about today is on telemedicine. When did you first become interested in that? Technology has always been a part of my interest in medicine. 
like I said, I was an emergency department scribe and they are in charge of the electronic health record. So they do all the typing, they write all the notes in the electronic health record. But what I found so fascinating about it was this push and pull of medicine and technology in that everybody loved being able to get their x-rays and their images really quickly and see them, but they hated having to document through the electronic health record. And one place that that tension really pops up is in telemedicine. And so the video freezes. Sometimes I can't hear them and I can't integrate an interpreter well. And that tension just fascinates me as a researcher and as a clinician, because I live this life, right? Like I was providing care through telemedicine throughout the pandemic. I still provide care through telemedicine. It's interesting, isn't it? Because on the one hand, telemedicine came about in order to provide access to people who wouldn't necessarily get it. So in one sense, you would think that telemedicine is just a kind of democratizing force, uh, an equity increasing force. But actually, there are reasons why there might be a divide in access to telemedicine. And that's what your paper's exploring. Exactly. There's all these barriers that exist to access an in-person visit. And telemedicine improves a lot of those. But the trade-off is that it requires technology, which requires broadband internet access, which we know is inequitable. And it requires access to a technology-enabled device. And so there's all these different barriers that are introduced, but often overlapping with the barriers that people experience when they're trying to access in-person care. Yeah, it's not just this digital divide, although that is clearly an important one. There are some of those other well-known barriers about money, language, you know, insurance, those sorts of things are still applicable. Exactly. And they are often overlapping. And so my mentor, Dr. Kristen Ray, who's the senior author on this paper, she often talks about telemedicine as a tool in your toolbox. For some families, this might not work because of their access or because of their other needs or because for them coming in in person just makes more sense. And that's part of what we were trying to explore in this paper was we all adopted it so quickly out of necessity at the beginning of the pandemic. Now we're trying to figure out what situations is telemedicine really working well for and what situations is telemedicine not working well for. So when you looked at what factors were associated with scheduled telemedicine appointments, what came out from the data set? The results from the scheduled telemedicine visits. So those who were offered and scheduled a telemedicine appointment were not surprising. Appointments were scheduled less often for children who live in zip codes that have lower technology access. And so that's supported by all the literature on the digital divide. But for scheduling, when it was offered universally, we found that the other demographics didn't really have an impact on who scheduled the visit. And so that was reassuring in a lot of ways. When we turned and looked at who actually attended those visits, we found that the visits were most likely to be attended if the visit was scheduled that same day. And so that helped us in the sense of that fine-tuning of when to offer that that the value in telemedicine might be in same day acute concerns, um, just allowing quicker access to your primary care pediatrician. And then we also found that attendance was more likely for families who had a preferred language that was something other than English or Spanish. 
And those findings honestly were more surprising to us because at the very beginning, interpreter integration was challenging and that has improved over time. We saw that improvement in the data as well, that more families were attending telemedicine as we became better at integrating interpretation into telemedicine. Was that overall over the whole year or was that just the most improvement was in that group? Or both? It was both. So so those families were more likely to attend overall over the year. And then we also saw the most improvement. Right. How do you explain that, do you think? I don't have a great explanation for the overall attendance over the whole year. I think the improvement, I would think, is likely due to an improvement on our side. We did a lot of quality improvement Um, Based on these results and some other results or some other analyses that we've done about getting more information on how to access telemedicine, how to access the patient portal available in multiple languages. And so we did a lot to improve that on our side. And then, like I said, we got better at integrating interpretation over the year as well. Overall, in terms of those, how many of those scheduled appointments were attended do you have a number for that? And, and how does that compare to in real life appointments? So the overall attendance at telemedicine during the study period was 80%, which in this setting, in an academic primary care setting, is higher than the in-person attendance rate, which off the top of my head is somewhere in the high 60s. The use of telemedicine, as you say, was really thrust upon you during the pandemic. Do you think those numbers are going to just return back to the sort of pre-pandemic levels? Or now that it's risen to prominence, do you think those numbers are going to stay really high? Yeah, that's a great question. And what we've seen in the literature is that those numbers really decreased rather quickly. We saw this like very quick surge in telemedicine use, and then we saw a really quick decrease once things opened back up, but that it never went back down to zero. And so there's still this persistence in telemedicine use that is well above what we were doing pre-pandemic. So it sounds like you believe telemedicine's here to stay. And some of the results were quite reassuring. And I think in particular that there was evidence that your interventions around language accessibility really seemed to work, didn't they? I mean, what do you take away from this study and what do you hope to see in the future? I believe that telemedicine is here to stay. I don't use telemedicine for every visit reason, but there are some visit reasons it works really well. And I think same day call-ins is one of those places that we saw in this study that families attend and might be a good use for this in the future. We still have a lot of work to do. There's still a lot of kinks to work out. There's still a lot of concerns about widening disparities and inequities. And I think part of the process of integrating this into a practice is to be thoughtful about what you're seeing, who's using it, and to make adjustments. As with anything, the first time you try something, it's not going to be perfect and you just improve it as you go. And I think that's what we're finding with telemedicine, too. That was Kelsey Schweiberger from the University of Pittsburgh, which brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you'll join me next time. I'm Jeff Marsh. Thanks for listening. <laughs>